welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, a story from Jack London, one of my favorite authors, called War. And now, our story. He was a young man, not more than twenty-four or five, and he might have sat his horse with the careless grace of his youth had he not been so cat-like intense. His black eyes roved everywhere, "'catching the movements of twigs and branches "'where small birds hopped, "'questing ever onward through the changing vistas "'of trees and brush, "'and returning always to the clumps of undergrowth "'on either side. "'And as he watched, so did he listen, "'though he rode on in silence, "'save for the boom of heavy guns "'from far to the west. "'This had been sounding monotonously "'in his ears for hours, "'and only its cessation would have aroused his notice, "'for he had business closer to hand. "'Across his saddle-bow was balanced a carbine.' So tensely was he strung that a bunch of quail, exploding into flight from under his horse's nose, startled him to such an extent that automatically, instantly, he had reined in and fetched the carbine halfway to his shoulder. He grinned sheepishly, recovered himself, and rode on. So tense was he, so bent upon the work he had to do, that the sweat stung his eyes unwiped, and unheeded rolled down his nose and spattered his saddle pommel. The band of his cavalryman's hat was fresh stained with sweat. The roan horse under him was likewise wet. It was high noon of a breathless day of heat. Even the birds and squirrels did not dare the sun, but sheltered in shady hiding places among the trees. Man and horse were littered with leaves and dusted with yellow pollen, for the open was ventured no more than was compulsory. They kept to the brush and trees, and invariably the man halted and peered out before crossing a dry glade or naked stretch of upland pasturage. He worked always to the north, though his way was devious, and it was from the north that he seemed most to apprehend that for which he was looking. He was no coward, but his courage was only that of the average civilized man, and he was looking to live, not die. Up a small hillside he followed a cow path through such dense scrub that he was forced to dismount and lead his horse, but when the path swung around to the west, he abandoned it and headed to the north again along the oak-covered top of the ridge. The ridge ended in a steep descent, so steep that he zigzagged back and forth across the face of the slope, sliding and stumbling among the dead leaves and matted vines and keeping a watchful eye on the horse above that threatened to fall down upon him. The sweat ran from him, and the pollen dust, settling pungently in mouth and nostrils, increased his thirst. Try as he would, nevertheless the descent was noisy, and frequently he stopped, panting in the dry heat and listening for any warning from beneath. At the bottom he came out on a flat, so densely forested that he could not make out its extent. Here the character of the woods changed, and he was about to remount. Instead of the twisted hillside oaks, tall straight trees, big-trunked and prosperous, rose from the damp, fat soil. Only here and there were thickets, easily avoided, while he encountered winding, park-like glades where the cattle had pastured in the days before war had run them off. His progress was more rapid now, as he came down into the valley, and at the end of half an hour he halted at an ancient rail fence on the edge of a clearing. He did not like the openness of it, yet his path lay across to the fringe of trees that marked the banks of the stream. It was a mere quarter of a mile across that open, but the thought of venturing out in it was repugnant. A rifle, a score of them, a thousand, might lurk in that fringe by the stream. Twice he essayed to start, and twice he paused. He was appalled by his own loneliness. 
the pulse of war that beat from the west suggested the companionship of battling thousands. Here was naught but silence, and himself, and possible death-dealing bullets from a myriad ambushes. And yet his task was to find what he feared to find. He must go on, and on, till somewhere, sometime, he encountered another man, or other men, from the other side, scouting as he was scouting, to make report, as he must make report, of having come in touch. Changing his mind, he skirted inside the woods for a distance, and again peeped forth. This time, in the middle of the clearing, he saw a small farmhouse. There were no signs of life. No smoke curled from the chimney. Not a barnyard fowl clucked and strutted. The kitchen door stood open, and he gazed so long and hard into the black aperture that it seemed almost that a farmer's wife must emerge at any moment. He licked the pollen and dust from his dry lips, stiffened himself, mind and body, and rode out into the blazing sunshine. Nothing stirred. He went on past the house and approached the wall of trees and bushes by the river's bank. One thought persisted maddeningly. It was of the crash into his body of a high-velocity bullet. It made him feel very fragile and defenseless, and he crouched lower in the saddle. Tethering his horse in the edge of the wood, he continued a hundred yards on foot till he came to the stream. Twenty feet wide it was, without perceptible current, cool and inviting, and he was very thirsty. But he waited inside his screen of leafage, his eyes fixed on the screen on the opposite side. To make the wait endurable, he sat down, his carbine resting on his knees. The minutes passed, and slowly his tenseness relaxed. At last he decided there was no danger, but just as he prepared to part the bushes and bend down into the water, a movement among the opposite bushes caught his eye. It might be a bird, but he waited. Again there was an agitation of the bushes, and then, so suddenly that it almost startled a cry from him, the brushes parted and a face peered out. It was a face covered with several weeks' growth of ginger-colored beard. The eyes were blue and white apart, with laughter wrinkles in the corners that showed despite the tired and anxious expression of the whole face. All this he could see with microscopic clearness, for the distance was no more than twenty feet. And all this he saw in such brief time that he saw it as he lifted his carbine to his shoulder. He glanced along the sights and knew that he was gazing upon a man who was as good as dead. It was impossible to miss at such point-blank range. But he did not shoot. Slowly he lowered the carbine and watched. A hand, clutching a water bottle, became visible, and the ginger beard bent downward to fill the bottle. He could hear the gurgle of the water. Then arm and bottle and ginger beard disappeared behind the closing bushes. A long time he waited, when, with thirst unslaked, he crept back to his horse, rode slowly across the sun-washed clearing, and passed into the shelter of the woods beyond. And now, Part Two of War by Jack London. Another day, hot and breathless. A deserted farmhouse, large, with many outbuildings and an orchard, standing in a clearing. From the woods, on a roan horse, carbine across pommel, rode the young man with the quick black eyes. He breathed with relief as he gained the house. That a fight had taken place here earlier in the season was evident. Clips and empty cartridges, tarnished with verdigris, lay on the ground, which, well wet, had been torn up by the hoofs of horses. Hard by the kitchen garden were graves, tagged and numbered. From the oak tree by the kitchen door, in tattered, weather-beaten garments, 
hung the bodies of two men. The faces, shriveled and defaced, bore no likeness to the faces of men. The roan horse snorted beneath them, and the rider caressed and soothed it, and tied it farther away. Entering the house, he found the interior a wreck. He trod on empty cartridges as he walked from room to room to reconnoiter from the windows. Men had camped and slept everywhere, and on the floor of one room he came upon stains unmistakable where the wounded had been laid down. Again outside, he led the horse around behind the barn and invaded the orchard. A dozen trees were burdened with ripe apples. He filled his pockets, eating while he picked. Then a thought came to him, and he glanced at the sun, calculating the time of his return to camp. He pulled off his shirt, tying the sleeves and making a bag. This he proceeded to fill with apples. As he was about to mount his horse, his animal suddenly pricked up its ears. The man, too, listened, and heard, faintly, the thud of hoofs on soft earth. He crept to the corner of the barn and peered out. A dozen mounted men, strung out loosely, approaching from the opposite side of the clearing, were only a matter of a hundred yards or so away. They rode on to the house. Some dismounted, while others remained in the saddle as an earnest that their stay would be short. They seemed to be holding a council, for he could hear them talking excitedly in the detested tongue of the alien invader. The time passed, but they seemed unable to reach a decision. He put the carbine away in its boot, mounted, and waited impatiently, balancing the shirt of apples on the pommel. He heard footsteps approaching, and drove his spurs so fiercely into the roan as to force a surprise groan from the animal as it leaped forward. At the corner of the barn he saw the intruder, a mere boy of nineteen or twenty for all of his uniform, jump back to escape being run down. At the same moment the roan swerved, and its rider caught a glimpse of the aroused men by the house. Some were springing from their horses, and he could see the rifles going to their shoulders. He passed the kitchen door and the dried corpses swinging in the shade, compelling his foes to run around the front of the house. A rifle cracked, and a second, but he was going fast, leaning forward, low in the saddle, one hand clutching the shirt of apples, the other guiding the horse. The top bar of the fence was four feet high, but he knew his roan, and leaped it at full career to the accompaniment of several scattered shots. Eight hundred yards straight away were the woods, and the roan was covering the distance with mighty strides. Every man was now firing. They were pumping their guns so rapidly that he no longer heard individual shots. A bullet went through his hat, but he was unaware, though he did know when another tore through the apples on the pommel. And he winced and ducked even lower when a third bullet, fired low, struck a stone between his horse's legs and ricocheted off through the air, buzzing and humming like some incredible insect. The shots died down as the magazines were emptied, until quickly there was no more shooting. The young man was elated. Through that astonishing fusillade he had come unscathed. He glanced back. Yes, they had emptied their magazines. He could see several reloading. Others were running back behind the house for their horses. As he looked, two already mounted came back into view around the corner, riding hard. And at the same moment, he saw the man with the unmistakable ginger beard kneel down on the ground, level his gun, and coolly take his time for the long shot. The young man threw his spurs into the horse, crouched very low, and swerved in his flight in order to distract the other's aim. And still the shot did not come. With each jump of the horse, the wood sprang nearer. They were only two hundred yards away, and still the shot was delayed. And then he heard it. The last thing he was to hear. 
for he was dead ere he hit the ground in the long crashing fall from the saddle. And they, watching at the house, saw him fall, saw his body bounce when it struck the earth, and saw the burst of red-cheeked apples that rolled about him. They laughed at the unexpected eruption of apples, and clapped their hands in applause of the long shot by the man with the ginger beard. We'll return with our second story, Jan the Unrepentant, right after these sponsor messages. And now our story. For there's never a law of God or man runs north of 53. Jan rolled over, clawing and kicking. He was fighting hand and foot now, and he fought grimly, silently. Two of the three men who hung upon him shouted directions to each other and strove to curb the short, hairy devil who would not curb. The third man howled. His finger was between Jan's teeth. "'Quit your tantrums, Jan, and ease up,' panted Red Bill, getting his stranglehold on Jan's neck. "'Why on earth can't you hang decent and peaceable?' But Jan kept his grip on the third man's finger and squirmed over the floor of the tent into the pots and pans. "'You're no gentleman, sir,' reproved Mr. Taylor, his body following his finger and endeavoring to accommodate itself to every jerk of Jan's head. "'You have killed Mr. Gordon.' "'as brave and honorable a gentleman as ever hit the trail after the dog. "'You're a murderer, sir, and without honor.' "'And you're no comrade,' broke in Red Bill. "'If you was, you'd hanged out ramping and roaring. "'Come on, John, there's a good fellow. "'Don't give us no more trouble. "'Just quit, and we'll hang you neat and handy and be done with it.' "'Steady, all. Lawson the sailorman bawled. "'Jam his head into the bean pot and batten down. "'But my finger, sir!' "'Mr. Taylor protested. "'Let go with your finger, then. "'Always in the way.' "'But I can't, Mr. Lawson. "'It's in the critter's gullet, "'and not chewed off as it is. "'Stand by for stays!' "'As Lawson gave the warning, "'Jan half-lifted himself, "'and the struggling quartet "'floundered across the tent "'into a muddle of furs and blankets. "'In its passage it cleared the body of a man "'who lay motionless, "'bleeding from a bullet wound in the neck. "'All this was because of the madness "'which had come upon Jan.' the madness which comes upon a man who has stripped off the raw skin of earth and groveled long in primal nakedness, and before whose eyes rises the fat bales of the homeland, and into whose nostrils steals the whiff of the bay, and grass, and flower, and new-turned soil. Through five frigid years Jan had sown the seed. Steward River, Forty Mile, Circle City, Koyakuk, Kotstibu, had marked his bleak and strenuous agriculture, and now it was gnome that bore the harvest. Not the gnome of golden beaches and ruby sands, but the gnome of 97 before Anvil City was located, or El Dorado District organized. John Gordon was a Yankee, and should have known better. But he passed the sharp word at a time when Jan's bloodshot eyes blazed and his teeth gritted in torment. And because of this, there was a smell of saltpeter in the tent, and one lay quietly while the other fought like a cornered rat, and refused to hang in the decent and peaceable manner suggested by his comrades. "'If you will allow me, Mr. Lawson, "'before we go further into this rumpus, "'I would say it was a good idea "'to pry this hair varmint's teeth apart. "'Neither will he bite off, "'nor will he let go. "'He has the wisdom of a serpent, sir, "'the wisdom of a serpent. "'Let me get the hatchet to him,' "'vociferated the sailor. "'Let me get the hatchet.' "'He shoved the steel edge "'close to Mr. Taylor's finger "'and used the man's teeth as a fulcrum. "'Jan held on and breathed through his nose, "'snorting like a grampus.' "'Steady, all. Now she takes it.' "'Thank you, sir. It is a powerful relief,' 
and Mr. Taylor proceeded to gather into his arms the victim's wildly waving legs. But Jan upreared in his berserker rage, bleeding, frothing, cursing, five frozen years thawing into sudden hell. They swayed backward and forward, panted, sweated like some cyclopean, many-legged monster rising from the lower deeps. The slush lamp went over, drowned in its own fat, while the midday twilight scarce percolated through the dirty canvas of the tent. "'For the love of God, Jan, get your senses back,' pleaded Red Bill. "'We ain't going to hurt you, or kill you, or anything of the sort. We just want to hang you, that's all. And you're just a messing round on a rampage in something terrible. To think of traveling trail together and then being treated this way. Wouldn't have believed it of you, Jan.' "'He's got too much steerage way. "'Grab hold his legs, Taylor, and heave him over.' "'Yes, sir, Mr. Lawson. "'Do you press your weight above after I give the word?' "'The Kentuckian groped about him in murky darkness. "'Now, sir, now is the accepted time.' "'There was a great surge, "'and a quarter of a ton of human flesh "'tottered and crashed to its fall against the sidewall. "'Pegs drew and guy ropes parted, "'and the tent, collapsing, "'wrapped the battle in its greasy folds.' "'You're only making it harder for yourself,' Red Bill continued, at the same time driving both his thumbs into a hairy throat, the possessor of which he had pinned down. "'You've made nuisance enough already, and it'll take half the day to get things straightened up when we strung you up.' "'I'll thank you to leave go, sir,' sputtered Mr. Taylor. Red Bill grunted and loosed his grip, and the twain crawled out into the open. At the same instant Jan kicked clear of the sailor and took to his heels across the snow. "'Hi!' "'You lazy devils! Buck! Bright! Sick em! Pull em down!' sang out Lawson, lunging through the snow after the fleeing man. Buck and Bright, followed by the rest of the dogs, outstripped him and rapidly overhauled the murderer. There was no reason that these men should do this, no reason for Jan to run away, no reason for them to attempt to prevent him. On the one hand stretched the barren snowland, on the other the frozen sea. With neither food nor shelter, he could not run far.' All they had to do was wait till he wandered back to the tent, as he inevitably must, when the frost and hunger laid hold of him. But these men did not stop to think. There was a certain taint of madness running in the veins of all of them. Besides, blood had been spilled, and upon them was the blood-lust, thick and hot. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord, and he said that in temperate climes where the warm sun steals away the energies of men. But in the Northland they have discovered that prayer is only efficacious when backed by muscle and they are accustomed to doing things for themselves. God is everywhere, they have heard, but he flings a shadow over the land for half the year that they may not find him. So they grope in darkness, and it is not to be wondered that they often doubt, and deem the decalogue out of gear. Jan ran blindly, reckoning not of the way of his feet, for he was mastered by the verb to live. To live, to exist. Buck flashed gray through the air but missed. The man struck madly at him and stumbled. Then the white teeth of bite closed in on his Mackinac jacket, and he pitched into the snow. To live, to exist. He fought wildly as ever, the center of a tossing heap of men and dogs. His left hand gripped a wolf-dog by the scruff of the back, while the arm was passed around the neck of Lawson. Every struggle of the dog helped to throttle the hapless sailor. Jan's right hand was buried deep in the curling tendrils of Red Bill's shaggy head, and beneath all, Mr. Taylor lay pinned and helpless. It was a deadlock, for the strength of his madness was prodigious. But suddenly, without apparent reason, Jan loosed his various grips and rolled over quietly on his back. His adversaries drew away a little, dubious and disconcerted. 
Jan grinned viciously. "'Mine friends,' he said, still grinning, "'you have asked me to be politeful, "'and now I am politeful. "'What business would you do with me?' "'That's right, Jan. Be calm,' soothed Red Bill. "'I knowed you'd come to your senses before long. "'Just be calm now, "'and we'll do the trick with neatness and dispatch.' "'What business? What trick?' "'The hanging. "'And you ought to thank your lucky stars "'for having a man what knows his business. "'I've did it afore now, more than once, "'down in the States, "'and I can do it to a tee. "'Hang who? Me? "'Yep. "'Ha, ha! "'Shouldst hear the man speak foolishness. "'Give me a handbill, "'and I will get up and be hung.' "'He crawled stiffly to his feet "'and looked about him. "'Herr God, listen to this man. "'He would hang me. "'Ho, ho, I tank not. "'Yes, I tank not.' "'And I tank yes, you swab,' Lawson spoke up mockingly, "'at the same time cutting a sled lashing "'and coiling it up with ominous care. "'Judge Lynch holds court this day. "'Van little while,' Jan stepped back from the preferred noose. "'I have some things to ask un to make your great proposition.' "'Kentucky, you know about der Shudge Lynch?' "'Yes, sir. "'It is an institution of free men and of gentlemen, "'and it is an old one, time-honored. "'Corruption may wear the robe of majesty, sir, "'but Judge Lynch can always be relied upon "'to give justice without court fees. "'I repeat, sir, without court fees. "'Law may be bought and sold, "'but in this enlightened land "'justice is as free as the air we breathe, "'strong as the liquor we drink.' "'Prompt as... Cut it short! "'Find out what the beggar wants,' interrupted Lawson, "'spoiling the peroration. "'Vare, Kentucky, tell me this. "'Von man kill von other man. "'Shudge Lint hang that man?' "'If the evidence is strong enough, yes, sir. "'And the evidence in this here case "'is strong enough to hang a dozen men, Jan,' "'broke in Red Bill. "'Never you mind, Bill. "'I talk mit you next.' Now, von another thing I ask Kentucky. If Judge Lynch hang not der man, what then? Well, if Judge Lynch does not hang the man, then the man goes free, and his hands are washed clean of blood. And further, sir, our great and glorious Constitution has said, to wit, that no man may twice be placed in jeopardy of his life for one and the same crime, or some words of that effect. Und they can't shoot him, "'or hit him meet the club over the head alongside, "'or do nothings more meet him?' "'No, sir.' "'Good. "'You hear what Kentucky speaks, "'all you noodle-heads. "'Now I talk to Miss Bill. "'You know der business, Bill. "'Ont you hang me up brown, eh? "'What you say?' "'Yeah, you bet your life, Jan. "'And if you don't give more trouble, "'you be almighty proud of the job. "'I'm a connoisseur. "'You have der great head, Bill.' "'and knew some things or two. "'Und you know two and von makes tree, ain't it?' "'Bill nodded. "'Und when you have two dings, "'you have not tree dings, ain't it? "'Now you follow Vint me close and I show you. "'It takes tree dings to hang. First ding, you have to have der man. "'Good, I'm der man. Second ding, you have to have der rope. "'Lawson have der rope. Good. "'And third ding, "'You have to have something to tie the rope to. "'Sling your eyes over the landscape "'and find the third thing to the rope to. "'Eh? What you say?' "'Mechanically they swept the ice and snow with their eyes. 
"'It was an homogeneous scene, "'devoid of contrast or bold contours, "'dreary, desolate, and monotonous. "'The ice-packed sea, "'the slow slope of the beach, "'the background of low-lying hills, "'and overall thrown the endless mantle of snow. "'No trees, no bluffs, no cabins, "'no telegraph poles. "'Nothing,' moaned Red Bill. "'Nothing respectable enough "'nor big enough to swing the toes "'of a five-foot man clear of the ground.' "'I give it up.' "'He looked yearningly at that portion of Jan's anatomy "'which joins the head and shoulders. "'Give it up,' he repeated sadly to Lawson. "'Throw the rope down. "'God never intended this here country for living purposes, "'and that's a cold, frozen fact.' "'Jan grinned triumphantly. "'I tank I go mit der tent, und half a smoke.' "'Ostensibly you're correct, Bill,' spoke up Lawson. "'But you're a dummy.' "'and you can lay to that for another cold, frozen fact. "'Takes a sea farmer to learn you landsman things. "'Ever hear of a pair of shears? "'Then clap your eyes to this.' "'The sailor worked rapidly. "'From the pile of dunnage where they had pulled up the boat "'the preceding fall, he unearthed a pair of long oars. "'These he lashed together at nearly right angles, "'close to the ends of the blades. "'Where the handles rested, he kicked holes through the snow to the sand.' At the point of intersection, he attached two guy ropes, making the end of one fast to a cake of beach ice. The other guy he passed over to Red Bill. Here, me son, lay halt of that and run it out. And to his horror, Jan saw his gallows rise in the air. No, no, he cried, recoiling and putting up his fists. It's not good. I will not hang. Come, you noodle heads. I will lick you altogether, one after the other. I will play hell. I will do everythings, and I will die before I hang. The sailor permitted the two other men to clinch with the mad creature. They rolled and tossed about furiously, tearing up snow and tundra, their fierce struggle writing a tragedy of human passion on the white sheet spread by nature. And ever and anon a hand or foot of yon emerged from the tangle, to be gripped by Lawson and lashed fast with rope yarns. Pawing, clawing, blaspheming, he was conquered and bound, inch by inch, and drawn to where the inexorable shears lay like a pair of gigantic dividers on the snow. Red Bill adjusted the noose, placing the hangman's knot properly under the left ear. Mr. Taylor and Lawson tailed onto the running guy, ready at the word to elevate the gallows. Bill lingered, contemplating his work with artistic appreciation. Here, Gunt! Would you look at it? The horror in Jan's voice caused the rest to desist. The fallen tent had uprisen and in the gathering twilight it flapped ghostly arms about and titubated toward them drunkenly. But the next instant, John Gordon found the opening and crawled forth. "'What the flaming!' For the moment his voice died away in his throat as his eyes took in the tableau. "'Hold on! I'm not dead!' he cried out, coming up to the group with stormy countenance. "'Allow me, Mr. Gordon, to congratulate you upon your escape,' Mr. Taylor ventured. "'A close shave, sir!' "'A powerful close shave. "'Congratulate, Hill. "'I might have been dead and rotten to no thanks to you.' "'And thereat John Gordon delivered himself "'a vigorous flood of English, "'terse, intensive, denunciative, "'and composed solely of expletives and adjectives. "'Simply creased me,' he went on, "'when he'd eased himself sufficiently. "'Ever creased cattle, Taylor?' "'Yes, sir, many a time down in God's country.' "'Just so. That's what happened to me.' "'Bullet just grazed the base of my skull at the top of the neck. "'Stunned me, but no harm done.' "'He turned to the bound man. "'Get up, Jan. 
"'I'm going to lick you to a standstill, or you're going to apologize. "'The rest of you lads stand clear.' "'I tank not. "'Just tie me loose, and you see,' replied John, the unrepentant, "'the devil within him still unconquered. "'Und after I lick you, I take the rest of you noodle-heads. "'Von after the other. "'All together.' Thanks for joining us for these two Jack London stories. We do appreciate reviews very much, and here's a few recent ones for you. The first one, five stars, Garm. Great dog story. Love this podcast. That one from Market Pop, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, five stars, fantastic find. I love the stories and the voice of the narrator. His tone is soothing, allowing me to relax and sleep, which was my main reason for listening. The stories have opened up a new world. I'm trying to figure out how to support this endeavor and get rid of the ads. That one from B. Millen, Apple Podcast, U.S. And B. Millen, I would love to answer that for you. All you have to do is go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash 1001storiesnetwork. And we have a few hundred stories in there now. Ad-free. Thanks for asking. And this one, five stars, Brighton's sister-in-law. A sensitive story of a young man and his disabled son left me wanting to read more by this fine Australian author. Thank you for the excellent reading of this special tale. That one from S.E. Bush, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one. Love these classics. Five stars. I have so little time to devote to read these timeless stories, and now I have an amazing door into the classics chosen and read by John, a terrific storyteller and wonderful host. I'm sold. That one from Nana Grape, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave these reviews for 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. They're greatly appreciated, and I'm humbled to know how much you enjoy our work. We'll return with a brand new story next Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.